Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. Today, I want to, I, I felt like it would be appropriate, inappropriate not to introduce someone who's not a stranger to this house. He's a member here, but he's not just a member and an elder and a pastor on our team. He's a senior prophet in our global movement called Every Nation. And he, and he was supposed to be in another place, but through the grace and calling of God, he's with us today. And I'm telling you, he's going to deliver you a word that's going to shake you. So put your hands together and welcome Pastor Jim LaFoon as he delivers the word of life today. Oh, church, we at Bethel World Outreach do better than that. We thank God for the word. Thank you. We thank God for the word. Praise the Lord. Can we give God a great hand also? He's worthy of all our praise. Always good to be home. Um, I love to be here and worship here, and it's a privilege for Kathy. Now let's pray. Holy Spirit, speak by your Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for your word. Amen. We've been in a, a series entitled Reaching the City. And I had the privilege of sharing the first beginning of that series out of the visit of Jesus to Jericho before he died, right before he went to Jerusalem. I was a Tuesday at Pastor James, we had lunch together. We had salads and a few other things I won't mention before those salads. But anyway, we had salads was the good news. Yeah. I said, Pastor James, I said, I'm going to be here quite by surprise Sunday. I'm happy to come support you. I'll go work in one of our sites. He said, why do you think about preaching? So I prayed and he prayed. And, I'm, and so here I am. And I'm going to entitle this message, Reaching the City, the Church, and the Destiny of Cities. I'm going to break this message into a few small parts. I'll talk about the crisis first. David's talking about Jerusalem, says this, confuse the wicked, O Lord, confound their speech, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night, they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. David's describing Jerusalem when he's king and there's kind of a coup going on. How many of you know things haven't changed much? We live here in Music City, one of the greatest music cities in all the world, growing close to 100 people every day come and make this city their home. Yet how many of you know there's still destructive forces here? Pain, strife, death. That beneath the veneer of a southern smile, their lies, broken hearts. We know Cain fathered the first city. He went to the land of Nod, which means wandering. He left the presence of God and he established a city named after his son Enoch. And that city was based on the presupposition you could be happy without God. That somehow you could live without the presence of God. So when I look at Nashville, I don't just see music city. I don't just need to see thousands and thousands of jobs and industry and highways and sports. I see a city in pain. Now, we know when it comes to Nashville, according to Ephesians chapter 6, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. It's powers and principalities. We know from 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so they can't see. That at the root of Nashville's pain, 
at the root of what she is suffering with. It's not just lack of great jobs. The answer is not just Amazon bringing more jobs. The answer is not just the endless project of the 440 loop finally being finished. When I left Nashville years ago and moved away and moved back, one thing was still in process, 440. I mean, the hope in Nashville is not that the Predators will win the hockey championship this year. The hope in Nashville is not that the Titans will finally have a winning series again. What's the the hope of Nashville? The hope in Nashville is the church. Why is that? Because the root of Nashville's problems, they're not sociological, they're sociological problems. They're not even dealing with the industrial base or how many jobs we have or the infrastructure of the city. No, it's spiritual. All of us tend to buy into the lie that somehow we're powerless and this is just the way it is. Well, maybe one day we'll have a new mayor or one day we'll have a new governor or one day it'll be this and one day we'll have a Democrat or maybe we'll have a Republican. The fact of it is because the pain in our world is spiritually rooted, the church is the one with the answer. That the hope to Nashville's future does not lie in the next big company that comes. It's not about the next mayor. It's not about the next community council member. Why is that? Because ultimately, it's the church and a city's response to the church in that city, not just speaking here of Bethel, but the church, the great churches, it's that which influences their destiny. Now, when I finished in my beginning message, I was talking out of the book of Luke. And I just left Jesus visiting Jericho, Zacchaeus being saved, basically a mini revival breaking out in that city, Poverty seemingly being abolished, giving half his fortune away to the poor. So much so when people saw they said, man, the kingdom of God is at hand. This must be what it's like when God's kingdom comes. Then Jesus tells a parable filled with insight. Speaking of servants, each of who he gave some money to called mina. And this money basically represents our talents, our gifts, spiritual and natural, Um, our treasure, our money, and our time. And the first came saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in very little, like you've given your talents, you've given your treasure, you've given your time, you're gonna have authority and influence in 10 cities. Wait a minute. That means how you steward your gifts how you steward your money, how you steward your time, and are you investing it into the church for the advance of God's kingdom determines what? Influence in a city. Second man comes in, you know, Lord, you gave me five mina. I've made five more. He said, I'll give you five cities. Last man, he said, you know, he said, sir, I know how you are. You reap where you're not sown. You're pretty severe. You're pretty tough. You don't really need humans. It was kind of bigger. So I just put in a handkerchief. I never invested my bit of money. I never invested my gift. I never invested my talent. I just knew you didn't really need us. You can do it all on your own. He said, you wicked servant. If you just would have invested it, I'd have had some return. But because you did not invest it, I'm gonna take it and give it to those who did. And because the Bible says this, he who has more will be given. He who has not, even what they have will be taken. What God's saying here. 
if you don't invest your best into God's kingdom, if you don't invest your life, your love, your gifts in your city, you'll begin to lose what you have. Now, what is God saying here? That your investment matters. The investment of your time, your prayers, your life, your heart, your caring, your money. Why? Jesus, when my people invest that, they gain influence and authority in their city. Now look at something very sobering. We all say, what is really going to control the destiny of my city? And there are definitely things that influence it. Jobs, government, poverty, all kinds of things. But what does Jesus say? In Matthew 11, 20 and 24, he says, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works have been done. Now, here's what you find in Scripture. In Scripture, whether you're dealing with an individual or a corporate entity, they are held responsible by God for how they've responded to righteousness and the gospel. And that response will affect their destiny, not just eternally, but in the temporal realm as well. He said, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, if Tyre and Sidon, that church, and Lucifer's kind of likened to the king of Sidon in the Old Testament, he said, if that trading city, that monstrous empire, if they would have seen what you saw, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum. That was the headquarters of Jesus on the earth. I was just there with a number of people from Bethel earlier this year. We stood in Capernaum. It's where, it's where Peter and Andrew were born. It's where a revival broke out. It's where Jesus taught in the synagogue. It was his headquarters at this. Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Oh, no. You'll be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. What is he saying? If Sodom could have had a glimpse of what you saw. If Sodom could have heard taught what you heard. If Sodom could have heard a miracle. Do you realize hard Sodom, we think, okay, that's the most wicked city in history. That's debatable, but it's an example. If Sodom would have seen with that little self-righteous religious community saw, it would have repented. In fact, he says, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. That means if Sodom would have had a chance to see what you saw, they'd still be a city today and they would not have been destroyed. What is Jesus saying? If Sodom would have had the opportunity to see the kingdom of God advance, if they would have had an opportunity to hear that word taught, to see that power flow, they would have repented and they'd still be a city today. But I tell you, it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. He's saying, Capernaum, with all you saw, my son did his miracles there. With all you saw, in your mind, the most wicked city in history would have changed and remained. 
You remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem? He, he began to weep and he said, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you myself like a mother chicken with her chicks. But because you've missed the day of your visitation, because you didn't recognize that God was coming to you, you're going to be besieged, your walls are going to be torn down, you're going to be destroyed and wiped out. Seventy years later, Rome besieged them, destroyed them, enslaved them, and burned the temple. What do we find? That which affects the destiny of a city at the greatest level is not in the hands of Amazon. It's not in the hands of the mayor. It's not in the hands of the city council. It's not in the hands of the sports franchise. It's not in the hands of the police department or the fire department or the city. It's in the hands of the church. Not just Bethel, the many great churches in this city that God has placed the destiny, not just of individuals, but nations in our hands. So that, what does that mean? How you love, how you live, how you share, how you pray, who you talk to matters. Now I want to examine three cities. I want to examine Sodom and Gomorrah. I want to examine Nineveh. And I want to examine Sychar in Samaria. I want to ask the question, how do we fulfill our responsibility? How do we affect a city? Is it all about Pastors James and Debbie? Is it all about Bishop Rice and Jody? Is it all about our leaders? Or is it all about me and you? Let's go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, in 2 Peter 2, 6-8, it said, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes... He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man lived among them day by day, after he was, day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he sauntered. Now here's the problem. Sodom and Gomorrah had a righteous man. His name was Lot. You're going to find out later he was sitting on the city of the council. He was an elder in the gates. Like you and I, he was tormented. How many of you are ever tormented by the news? You're heartbroken by what you've read. He was the spiritual son of Abraham, his nephew. Problem is, he'd come to Sodom and Gomorrah to find his fortune. He didn't see it as a mission. He'd run off from his spiritual daddy because he, he reminded him of Egypt. Still righteous, still love God. We're going to find out he could recognize angels. He saw the power of God. And even though he's righteous, he was powerless. Why was that important? Later, you're going to find Abraham is praying and crying out, God, that I'm going to destroy Sodom. And Abraham goes, how about 50, 40, 30? He finds this 10. Why did he stop at 10? He thought, I know my nephew's 110. He got a wife. He got two daughters. He's got two son-in-laws. That's six. Surely he had a small group. Sure he talked to Pastor Carol and had a small group. Surely he invited a few friends to JT in the men's group. Surely he brought his girls to hear Pastor Debbie. 
Surely they had friends. Surely he reached 10 people. You know the story, the angels came to Sodom one evening. God sent him to find out two things. One is as bad as I heard and how many righteous people are there. Are there 10 people? Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Why? He's an elder. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. said, my Lord, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Just like his uncle, let me bless you. Let me help you. Then you may rise up early and go your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. They turned aside. And why did he press them? He knew they'd be assaulted there. He knew that was a violent city. He knew that was a dark city. He knew if they were in that square, they'd be assaulted. He forgot who he was dealing with, though. How many of you know two angels probably in real danger of being assaulted? For all his righteousness, he had lost sight of the power of God. But before they lay down, the men of the city... The men of Sodom, both young and old, and all the people to the last man surrounded the house. They called a lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Hundreds, thousands of men milling around his house will sexually assault them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door and said, I beg you, my brothers, brothers, give me a break. Do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you. Do to them as you want. Rape them. I don't care. Only do nothing to these men, for they've come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he's now become our judge. Does this not scare you? Why was that the first time they heard him decry what was happening? You've been here all these years, and now you're our judge? How had he hidden his face so well? Is this the first time he ever spoke up about that wickedness? Hey, this is the first we heard. You think you're a judge now? What kind of righteous man has so low a view of God's power that he says, rape my virgin daughters? What kind of man? This is the son of Abraham. This is his spiritual son. This is nephew. Raised by Abraham, knowing the covenant, walking with him, righteous, hates sin, but powerless. Where had he been? Why had he shared before? How do you sit there all those years and they just find out you don't like what you see? You've never taken a stand. You've never lovingly said there's another way to live. How's that happen? We live in Nashville filled with churches and I'm sure there are people sharing their faith, but God have mercy. So many times we're like Lot sitting in our home decrying the pain, tormented by what we see. I told him, I don't want to hear any more about it. I'm so sick of hearing about political scandal. I'm so tired about this stuff. But all of it does is torment me and never motivates me. He was an elder. He was at the gates. He was influential. The angels drew him back in. They tried to tear the door, blinded the men. And here's what they said. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Are you the only righteous man? 
Is there anyone else in all these years you've won? How about your son-in-laws? We know later when he went to his son-in-laws and said, God's going to judge this city. Come with me now. Come. They go, Dad, you've got to be kidding. Are you joking? He says, April Fool's. Why were they shocked? They'd never heard it from his mouth before. How about sons? Could it be that Lot had sons? I don't know that never came. What about your daughters? What about those sweet girls he'd raised in that righteous home? The ones that got him drunk and had incestuous sex with him later. What about his wife who loved Sodom so much that she said, don't look back. She looked back, turned to Saul. Or is there anyone you have in this city, Lot? Lot, after all your years here and all your influence, we know you're righteous. It's why you're being rescued. But is there anyone else? I mean, the Lord told Abraham for 10. Is there one? Jim LaFell, you've been to Bethel, you've preached, you've ministered. Is there anyone else you've reached? Jim, is there anyone else? Well, my children, my wife, and yes, I've led some people to Christ. But is there anyone? What about your neighbor that's always reaching out to you? Lot, do you have anyone else in Nashville? Do you have anyone else in Franklin? Do you have anyone else in Antioch? Do you have anyone else in Brentwood? Do you have anyone else? East Nashville? In your, anyone else? If you do, we can rescue them. If there's enough, we'll postpone this city's judgment and give it more time to repent. Beloved, Lot was righteous. Make no mistake about it. He was living a righteous life. I mean, God rescued him. The tragedy was God could have rescued the city through him. Have you anyone else today? Is there anyone else you could have brought this morning? Anyone else you could have invited? Anyone else you could have reached to? You say, why is it important? Because their destiny and the destiny of the city is affected by it. I don't like the atmosphere of my city. In the end, our prayers and our faith and our sharing can affect it and change it. I mean, these words just rivet my soul. Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in this city, bring them out. For we're about to destroy this place because the outcry against it has become so great and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-laws who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, listen to me, sons, for the Lord is going to destroy it. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, take up your wife and your two daughters and run for your life, lest you be swept away. Anyone else? I, 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 you know, I always want to blame someone else for the condition of my country. It's him, it's her, it's this movement, it's that movement. But in reality, people like me, I don't mean pastors like me, I mean Christians, we're the only ones in, with the power to deal with the spiritual root that's ripping up young men and young women and older men and older women. They're being torn apart, broken, shattered, hurt. 
We're the only ones with the answer. Oh, what about social services? What about Jesus? I appreciate every great service in the city, every man and woman that's trying hard. I appreciate, I bless them. But unless they know this Christ, they don't have the spiritual power to get to the root of what's breaking people and destroying them. Then there's Nineveh. Nineveh. You know what Jonah didn't realize is when God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah didn't realize that in 58 years, they were going to wipe his country out, ethnically cleanse them, and forcibly deport them. Jonah didn't want to go, oh, they're wicked. I've written them off. I don't like, I don't like their sexual ethics. They're violent. They're dark. I mean, Nineveh's bad. They'd wipe out whole cities and leave stacks of human skulls. The kings of the Assyrian Empire, when you go archaeologically, it's a... For lack of a better word, their artwork in their walls were people being murdered and led away in chains. They are the first great evil empire. The Nazis of their day. And God said, Joseph, you will go to Nineveh. He goes, I ain't going. I don't like that part of town. I ain't going down that part of Nashville. No, I'm not, no. God said, unless you go, they're going to come to you and you're not going to like it. Where the church refuses to go eventually comes to them. I don't like the evil crowd out my neighborhood, Pastor. Maybe you should have gone. Oh, I don't like the drug problem. I don't like the sexual ethics. Maybe we should have said something. And I don't mean some trite, mean-spirited comment. Now listen to me. So finally, you know, God, how many of you have God helped Jonah? You don't go on the water, you go under the water. God sent a submarine named a whale Swallowed Jonah up and vomited him out. Jonah had a change of heart. He begins to go into the city. He went a day's journey and he called out. Here was his message. In 40 days, you're done. I mean, that's not a fair, not a real good picture of the gospel. You're wiped out in 40 days. No God loves you. No Ten Commandments. No God's filled with mercy. No God can change. You're done. And the people of Nineveh believe God. That little message. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. We know the king himself got off his royal throne and put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did and how they turned from an evil way, God relented of the disaster and he said he would do to them and he did not do it. They just, this is the most feared city in the world. This is, you, I, you can't understand. They decimated human populations. They wiped them out. The king, the whole city's in ashes and sackcloth by a reluctant missionary who hated them and didn't want to go. Have you ever wondered what would have happened to Nineveh to put his heart into it? But it made Jonah happy. No, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. Angry that a certain ethnic group responded. Angry that a certain orientation responded. Angry that a certain political affiliation responded. Not down. And you know deep down we all got folk maybe we don't like. Let's just be honest. You don't want to say it. I mean, after all, you're racially reconciled. You're in a multi-ethnic church. But there's always some group we don't like much. 
I'm not like them. No, I'm not. I have trouble with real skinny people myself. Just kidding. Okay, now. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. Okay, I'm teasing. Jonah went out from the city to the east and made a booth for himself. And you look in the original language, it's the same kind of booth they made during the Feast of Tabernacles. Harvest booth. He sat under its shade till he could see what would become of the city. Lord, judge him. I know they need to fully repent. Oh, just give my big judgment. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade his head. He was so blessed. My marriage is better. My family's better. The blessing of God is on me. I'm shaded from all this wicked trial. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of his plant, because of his blessing. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and attacked Jonah's plant attacked his blessing so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. Sun beat down on the head of Jonah. He was faint. He asked, kill me now. Better for me to die. But God said to Jonah, did you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I'm mad about my plant. I'm angry enough to die. I'm tired of you spared you wicked people. I'm your righteous prophet. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there were 120,000 people. Now you realize Nineveh, Jonah didn't even fully, it took three days to walk through Nineveh. Old Jonah went a day into it. Half-hearted. But what would have happened when they repented if Jonah would have come out of his little booth, got out of his little church, and went back and said, I see you've repented. Let me tell you the rest of the story. Let me tell you about the Ten Commandments. Let me tell you about Abraham. Let me tell you about Moses. Let me tell you about the prophets. Let me tell you about what God's done. Let me tell you, what if they really would have repented? Could it be 50 year, 58 years later, they'd have been allies, not enemies? Could it be whole population groups would have been spared if one angry believer just would have repented? Just would have told him the whole story. How many times am I like Jonah sitting up in my little Bethel church with my plant over my head? Look, what's wrong with wicked Nashville? How can they think this way? Do this. Oh, baby, don't talk about the news anymore. I'm sick of it. Thank God he's going to come and get us one day. You ever find, be honest, you ever find you that way? Anybody like me? Am I the only one? Yes, we are. Lord, thank God there's a judgment. The universe don't make sense without it. It's just easy to get that way. Okay, we're all tormented. But could it be that torment's the thorn of God to motivate us to go out and make a difference? We got the power, we've got the love, we've got the grace, and we're the only ones, not Bethel Christians, the only one with the answer. We're the only ones. Last story, I'm going over time, Pastor James, sorry. Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria because of a place called Sychar. So I said, we're going to eat. We're hungry. We're getting tabbouleh. We're having hummus. Now having lamb kebabs. God be praised. I mean, we're going to have it. You, you, we, we love you. We're having some falafel. We're frying it up. Jesus says, go on. He's tired in the heat of the day. But he realizes that the transformation of a city starts with one human soul. 
broken sexually, married five times, living with a man scored by every other female in the city in the heat of the day, in one conversation, she's touched by Jesus. The well of God begins to spring up out of her. She goes back into her city, preaches a sermon even worse than Jonah's. I met a man out there. He just told me every sin. I have people go, Man, we want to meet him. We've wondered about how many sins she's done. I met a man out there. He told me all my sins might be the Messiah. Who knows? Ripe for harvest, but written off. Jews hated him. They were the ones the Assyrians sent when they deported the Jews. These people repopulated Israel. They hated him. But Jesus realized it's harvest time. Disciples come back. They come back. They never even ask you, the Bible says. Why were you talking to that woman? What were you doing? Why waste time with her? They said, Rabbi, are you hungry? We got a little bit of hummus here. Peter said, I saved you a little bit of lamb, not much. I mean, we got tabbouleh. We got falafel. We got pita bread. Jesus, are you hungry? So caught up in their own needs, their own family, their own life, beloved. They were blind to the first city in the whole New Testament, turning to Jesus. Jesus, I got food you know not of. They go, oh, give me a break. Did he turn these stones into bread again? Jesus said, no. My, my food is to do, not to listen. Doing satisfies you. Listening just gives you an appetite that only doing will. He said, and by the way, you keep telling me that the harvest is going to be in four months. I'm telling you right now, Open your eyes, look around. There's already a harvest. Eat those big falafel sandwiches. You can tell I'm hungry. Eating all the lamb kebabs. And right behind them in the city of Sychar, the whole city's emptying out because one woman shared her story. Emptying out. He said, oh, and by the way, while you're saying harvest on the way and you're filling your bellies, let me tell you right now, even now, someone's reaping. Even now, someone's harvesting. Even now, he's speaking to that woman. No purple book, no discipleship, no foundation class, no New Testament, no nothing. Just an encounter with the Son of God, which isn't bad. Transformed. And they missed it. They're oblivious to what they'd written off. So living for another meeting in their own needs. They missed the first great harvest in the New Testament. Hmm. Sodom and Gomorrah, Nineveh, Sychar, two things in common. One person either could have or made a difference. One person. Lot could have. Jonah partially did. One woman did. You're not powerless, beloved. We are the ones with the power. The problem it's not economic in the end. It's not political. It's not social. There are problems for sure. It's not just about the infrastructure or the next great company. It's spiritual. 
People are blinded, bound and hurting. The nations, the Bible says, are a drop of the bucket in his hand. And he puts those drops right into the hands of the church. Nashville's hope, Franklin's hope, Brentwood's hope, Antioch's hope, Murfreesboro's hope, East Nashville's hope. It's not a new mayor. It's not he's going to win the election in the end. It's not a big company coming. It's not the Predators winning the hockey championship or the Titans having a good season. It's the church. It's you and I being the church, sowing our best into this city, which is one of the most churched places in America. A lot of times, they're just the hardest to reach. Just ask Jesus. He spent all his time in religious cities. Pastor James joined me here. You said today, Pastor Jim, I want to take my responsibility to reach this city. If that's you, just stand to your feet right now. I'm going to pray for you. Stand up where you are. I'm going to join you because I've convicted myself today for sure. Holy Spirit, I'm coming into your presence now with your beloved people. Pray with me, Jesus, we're not powerless. You've given us the power and the purpose to reach this city. Lord, help me to do my part. It's not insignificant. It does matter. You can reap where you've not sown, but typically you reap where we've sown. Lord, help us not just to be tormented. Help us to be motivated to reach into this city, not to be detoured. In Jesus' name. Pastor James. You know, you know, sometimes I wish it was as simple as hearing the message, but like he said, you don't just get to hear it, you got to do something. And I saw, saw this in the first service, and I'm going to actually say it to this service. I believe God is calling us out of the place of comfort, out of the shelter that Jonah built for himself out of the me to the we and somehow I'm telling you prophetically you can't stay in the same place you've been in it's comfortable it's too comfortable so I'm about to call you down not because we need you you need some type of prophetic action that says I am not staying outside of God's will anymore I am doing that which he has laid on my heart over and over again. I don't need a well. I don't need a scorching wind. I don't need a city destroyed before I move. I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing to do my part. And all over this room, as the Lord leads you, 
as a prophetic sign that you not only accept your assignment, but you feel the power of God to be fruitful in reaching your city. When I count three, I just want you to quickly move forward all the way, press all the way to the front of this room. But I don't just believe that, that your activity is, is just unseen by God. I believe that when you step, I feel that God's gonna give you a fresh power to be effective in your going out to be effectual in your ministry, to restore a passion that you've lost. When you step, God's about to give you a personal revival. One, two, three, if that's God speaking to you, move down here to the front because he's going to do something. Move as close as possible. As close as possible, as quickly as possible, as close as possible, as quickly as possible. Come, come, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming close. Because each of you are, so to speak, soldiers in the army of the Lord. Each of you have the supernatural ability to take the gospel where you didn't think it was maybe possible to be effective. Come closer, come all the way in. Come until it's uncomfortable. Come, come. The city needs you. Pastor Jim held out his hand in the first service and says, he is putting the city in our hands. You represent, as Lot could have had 10 people saved, the city would have been saved. You represent more than 10. You represent the change we've been praying for. The scripture in John 4 ends with this conclusion. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers out into the harvest field. How many times, Bethel, will we hear this message? Today we're saying a fresh yes. Bishop, pray for us. If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need you, my savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you've just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, we pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you.